Every day, aspiring musicians dream of getting out of their garages and taking their songs on the road for the world to hear. But not everyone's successful at making a living as a gigging musician. There's a right way and a wrong way to navigate the music business, and whether you're looking to book your first gig or plotting an extensive world tour, this show will help you demystify the live music industry by providing firsthand insights from artists and professionals who are doing it at the highest levels. Hey there, I'm Tony Neely, and this is the Book Your Band Podcast. All right, folks, welcome to this episode of the Book Your Band Podcast. Today, we're joined by Chris Lopez, who is the marketing manager for the White Oak Music Hall over in Houston, Texas. I spent some time in Texas, five years, loved it. So it's great to talk to another Another uh, Lone Star gentleman. So, Chris, welcome. Thank you. So, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do in the live music industry. Cool. So, yeah, so I'm Chris Lopez. I'm one of two marketing managers at White Oak Music Hall. So, what we do, it's uh, market shows is like the simplest, quickest answer, but it's way more complicated than that. We get assigned, we get shows, get assigned shows work on them, create a marketing plan, create a strategy, find out who the audience is, reach out as best we can, and just work, 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 hitting as many people as we can with, you know, social media, organic stuff, flyers, word of mouth, all that stuff from the time we announce all the way till the day of the show. And that's what marketing is. We just make sure that everyone that needs to know about a show is aware that it exists. Awesome. I mean, obviously, you you help get butts in seats. You help get tickets sold. You help get people there to hear the bands. Tell us a little bit about the venue itself. Cool. Yeah. So White Oak is in Houston, like you said. People in the city know it or have been to it at least by accident once. It's We have three different venues in it. We have an upstairs area with a smaller capacity, downstairs area with a bigger one of 1,400. And then the lawn stage, which is outside with a capacity of 4,000 people. Each show has its own ups and downs based on capacity as well. The latest show we had on the lawn was the National in November. Mm-hmm. And the cool part was, I remember four years ago going to a show to see the National at that venue outside. And for me to do the marketing for it this time and get as, get to see them as an employee there was just amazing, honestly. It's crazy. That, that's awesome. Yeah, I've caught them a couple of times. They're great musicians. Uh, definitely not happy. It's not oh, no. music to dance to, but did you listen to the Grateful Dead tribute album that they produced? No. You tell me about it. It's, yeah, give me some insight. Uh, they worked with a bunch of various artists to put together a Grateful Dead tribute album where everyone from Bon Iver to... Wilco, the Decemberists, all kinds of other bands just did their interpretation of dead tracks and it's fantastic. It sounds, it sounds like every band that I used to listen to in college got together and did that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was excellent. So when you and I first started talking, you told me the thing that makes White Oak really unique is the fact that it's still an indie venue, which is becoming more and more rare, especially with mid cap and large cap venues. Yeah, so we are not with Live Nation. We do use Ticketmaster uh, because of just the beat, the the way it is. I mean, we don't have much of a choice, but we don't. We're not under Live Nation. We work with them, though. We work with AEG and have them as partners for some of the shows at our venue. So it's it's not that we're against any anybody at all. We just we have these partnerships that are amazing, and they're we just help support each other. So yeah, it's different. We have our own bookers. And two of them, they're amazing as well. And they just bring shows to us and we just do the best we can with what we have. Like we said, it's just based on, on capacities. We have lots of comp- competition when it comes to our outside venues, which are a bit bigger, but we mm-hmm. have a 713 Music Hall, the Cynthia Whittles and Pavilion, which are like just for giant shows. Sometimes it's during summer, it can get a little bit competitive, but at the end of the day, we're all doing the same thing. We're trying to bring music to people. And mm. so that, that, that's what makes it a little bit different. I feel like we work well with those people and have those amazing partnerships as well. It's not, it, we're frenemies essentially to an extent. So having, I, I played in the Nashville scene for quite a long time and a lot of the mid-cap venues there have all been bought out by Live Nation and kind of, you know, 
hostile takeover. There's definitely some bitterness. No offense to Live Nation, but you know, people who talk about old Nashville, they they're talking about a lot of times pre Live Nation buyout of some of these venues. Do you feel that your partnership with them and like I said, being able to work jointly with them has allowed you to stay independent as opposed to selling out to them? Aside from that, yes. And it's also the community that we have here in Houston where we're bringing in artists and bands that just are still able to be indie. For example, um, a few years ago, we had Phoebe Bridgers mm-hmm. in a small room, in a very small room. And and it's that's not an artist that, you know, Golden Voice or, or someone bigger that I was going to take a risk on just because they don't really have any interest in that. I think that's what makes us a little bit different. We have the capacity to bring in giant artists like we're going to have Two-Door Cinema Club on our outside stage. But we also, like I said, we've had Phoebe Bridgers upstairs. We had Soccer Mommy. And who knows who else we're going to have in the small room that one day is going to sell out. Mm-hmm. And I think we we are able to cultivate artists. And just, they remember, oh, White Oak Music Hall was there for us when we were only selling 200, 250. So one at a time they get like, oh, we'll sell 4 or 5K now. Oh, yeah, I remember White Oak was there for me when we started. These people were trying to support me when no one else really tried to give us an opportunity. And that's what makes us different. Yeah, I mean, that, that's normally who I go to see. If I go to music festivals or something, I'm, I'm hitting the small stages. I'm hitting the side stages because I want to see the up and coming artists. And so I think that's something that's a really unique feature, a nice feature that you guys have is you do, do still have that small cap room, which is really cool. Yeah, we've had, um, and the, the cool part is, like I said, we've seen, even last year, we had this artist named David, and we sold out upstairs, and later that same year, we moved into our bigger 1400 cap, it sold out again, and they want to mm. keep coming back, and that's just like one of the things when it comes to marketing that makes it easier. If you have returning artists, and people know what they're buying, it's easier to sell, it's easier to market, it's easier to pitch and vouch for them. Yeah. So you said part of what has allowed you to remain independent is your community there in Houston. How does White Oak engage the local community, the local music scene? Do you have like artist showcases? Do you have bands on like local bands on Tuesday nights? How are you working with the local musicians? So we have some of our supporting acts and our opening acts are local artists. We also have just local artists playing at our venue that, and they fill up some of the, a lot of the upstairs capacity. We also have local, the fun, the most fun part is doing these local playlists on our mm-hmm. social media. So let's say an artist has just a few hundred followers. If we're fortunate enough to, to enjoy their music and collaborate and, and just talk a little bit and enjoy their music, we can add them to our locals playlist, which we're doing right now. Actually, we go by genres at the beginning of each year. We do like, oh, local rock, local indie, local country, local folk. And we just feature artists that we like there. And even that already helps out artists because it just adds to their following. It adds to their streams. It adds to their engagement. And if they get enough traction, they'll want to have a show. If not at White Oak, then somewhere, but at least it's all local. We also have um, local spotlights where we just feature artists as well. And then we also just do book local artists. Like we had Madeline, the person, which is a Houston artist come here. And it was just an amazing show. So getting on your playlist, is that something that you're finding organically and your team is, is there a pitch process from the artist? They end up on your playlist. Yeah. We, we go around and we're like, Hey everyone, who wants to be on our rock playlist? And then we just snap our fingers and then we see a bunch of interest from different people. And then, you know, if you're that band, that's, that's going to be a little greedy. Like you tell all of your friends to go, you share that post and then mm-hmm. that just creates word of mouth and that helps everyone. It, it, it doesn't just help the venue, yeah. but it helps the artist and helps multiple artists within that genre. It can help them discover each other. It can help them just grow their following. It just overall, all around, it's just a good program. Honestly. Yeah, that that's great because I know, so I live in Chattanooga now and we have several venues that similarly try to be really intentional about making sure that, you know, an individual band may not be able to sell four or 500 tickets, but they'll do a lot of like local showcases where on a Tuesday night, 
get three local bands within a given genre together and we'll give you the main room. We'll give you the main stage. Uh, so, you know, for a lot of up and coming artists or starting out artists, I know that's something that's sincerely appreciated because they do go to shows at those venues and they yeah. aspire and dream to be on them. So it's always encouraging for me to hear these well-known venues who are still letting the local artists have a chance. Yeah. And so with, with the capacity, with the amount of shows that we have, it's more difficult for us to do something like that, but we still try our best to engage locally with those playlists and just reaching out. Uh, some of our street team is even in bands and, uh, and our artists. And so it's just cool overall. Everyone's super nice too. So you mentioned, you know, with, with your calendar, you had told me you're one of the busiest venues in the country, right? That is very true. <laughs> So, uh, how many shows are you normally booking in a given year across the three venues? Oh man. In a given year, last time I checked, normally we do around, Ooh, I'm going to get in trouble if I say the wrong number. Okay. Last time I checked the three month window, I had over 60 shows. 60 shows in a three month window. Yeah. <laughs> that's a that's a busy run. And you said there's only two of you on marketing management? Yes. Her name How is many Ashley. on your team? Shout out to Ashley. In total, it's myself, Ashley, Paul, and Kaylee. So it's four of us in total in the marketing department. So four-person team that's marketing for 60 shows per three-month window. Mercy. Yes. I'm always so, busy. <laughs> I mean... I'm the kind of guy I always say I'd rather be busy than bored any day. But so you're looking at across across your team on average 20 shows a month. What does that make your day to day look like? Okay, day to day, it's a lot of back and forth with our agents, uh, which is awesome. A lot of just checking and tracking where shows are at and where they could be. And a lot of asset collection, if possible. The bigger things that we try to do is that we that I try to do at least is make sure that we are doing what we can organically mm. with ads we can we can target and do all those precision things and geofence and all that stuff but organic also matters and posting just reminders that a show is happening or making sure that we're marketing in the correct way. Emails are very important as well. That's something that we focus on heavily. It's not just, hey, the show's coming. Hey, the show's on sale. It's like continuously trying to engage our audience and not just always like pitch a show. Make sure that the right shows are laid out in front of the right people. And that's kind of the biggest thing with us right now is making sure that we are targeting the correct audience when it comes to a show. So... Uh, one on it, here's a perfect example of that on one Friday, I've had tickets to slow dive, which is a shoegazer band for those who don't know idols as well, which is post-punk and then at echo and the bunny men, which is an eighties band and swans, which is an alt avant-garde, I don't know, fill in the blank. So all those went on sale at the exact same time, even though it, it was, it was, it was hard. It was a really long week to get things ready. Those aren't the same audiences. So mm -hmm. pitching to those and saying that tickets are on sale, even though we're, it is at the same venue, it's still different dates. It's still different audiences. They still need to be talked to in a specific way. You know, I'm not going to talk to someone that likes idols the same way I'm going to talk to someone that likes swans. Mm. And so finding the right audience is always key when it comes to our marketing. And, and that's basically the beginning, middle and end of it is, is Finding the audience, once we think we have it, pivot if we need to, make sure that we're allocating the right resources, and just making sure that we hit the right audience for each show. That's so like there's, the biggest deal. Yeah. There's a couple of questions that come from that. First one is, where are you finding the audiences? Because I'm, as, I'm, as, I'm assuming, like, like, I you mentioned swans. It makes me think, like, I'm a big fan of, like, Godspeed you, Black Emperor, and God is uh, an astronaut. All those like post rock bands, New Country and, Old Road, Black Midi, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I don't think a lot of their fans are on TikTok. So, no, like, so across genres, like, 
from rap to Americana to post-punk, where are you going to find these different crowds? So aside, we have a awesome mailing list to start off with, uh, which is something that's very important to us. And we divide. How many is on your list right now? Over 350K. Okay. Yeah. Which is a huge number, by the way. Uh, How are you getting those emails? Via Spires, actually, and working with partners, which is also something hopefully we get to talk about a little bit later. Partnerships for sure, and how those can develop in um, just some amazing experiences overall. Uh, but that's kind of one of the first things is previous buyers for email purposes. And we also go by genres, mm-hmm. which is a big deal. After that, we go by affinity artists. So affinity artist is artists that sound similar to the artists that we're trying to promote. So for Swans, it was like you said, it was all those bands that you named and we target them through ads. Then after that, we focus on lifestyle. So the average Swans person is not going to be traditionally, traditionally not going to be someone that is between 15 to 18. They can be, Hmm. but you're just not going to expect it. So someone that listens to Swans probably goes to record stores, could be into music more than just the average person. So they're probably playing an instrument or something like that. So they may go to Guitar Center or their local music store. They, there's like certain kind of movies they even watch. There's, so we break down not just by affinity artist and by genre, but also by lifestyle, by other things that they have in common and by the aspires essentially. Hmm. Those are like the big points. After that, we get a little bit more in the nitty gritty with partnerships, like I discussed. So someone listens to Swans may read Brooklyn vegan more than they read I don't know, stereo gum, or they may read both. Mm. And so it's working with those as well to make sure that we hit those right audiences. I'm not going to promote Echo and the Bunnymen on TikTok, just like you're saying. So it's making sure that the right channels are hit whenever we're making our marketing plan. Is, is That's the answer to your question. Yeah. What softwares or platforms are you using to generate your data? So uh, when it comes to demographics, you mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so for demographics, we get a lot of it from the agent as well as from affinity artists and previous buyers. Outside mm-hmm. of that, we have, uh, I use this app called Chartmetric, which helps out a little bit. And then after that, the most important one is after we plan as much as we can, make sure that we have our audiences set. And then after a week or two of ticket sales, we actually go into our ticketing platform and check the, check the buyers. And that's where we start basing our and repivot our marketing plan after seeing what the buyers are, what the age ranges are, genders, income levels, all that stuff. That's when we can get actual real data versus the more, not assumed, but kind of less planned out data than before. Like this is hard data. These are ticket buyers for this show. And we know that that's, that's what they're doing. Obviously, you want to be effective, but without stereotyping or pandering to given demographics, how do you change the way you're writing your copy for your ads across different genres? Like, how do you change up your verbiage, the colors that are being used, images being used? How are you making those choices across different genres? Exactly. So for, yeah, that's a... That's a great question. And I like it because it's, it's very true. There's sometimes where we get art and uh, it's, we're like, this is just not going to work. This is just Mm. not going to work. Or we get press photos and we're like, this is not going to work. And so we just talk to the agents. They're like, Hey, we know that in in our audience or in the Houston area, in our market in Houston area, this isn't going to look as well as this other thing will. So do you mind if we use this or like, Hey, we have this ad mat that looks like this, but we'd rather use this press photo or, Hey, we'd like to make these changes or whatever. And that's based off of just knowing the Houston market and what they would react to. For example, people, if the art for an ad mat is awesome, then people want to see it. If it's just mediocre, they would rather actually see the band. Hmm. And so it just depends. We also get videos and localized shout outs from artists and they're not always the best uh, some <laughs> artists. Like they could do like this on their thing and they're just trying to talk. Yeah. 
I mean, they're, they're, they're artists, you know, they're not here to market. That's our job. They're supposed to focus on the music and the performance. And so we just have to do what we can with those assets. And if it's unusable, we'll just fix it as best we can and make sure that it's somewhat presentable, but it just comes from knowing your market and understanding, understanding what the people want ultimately. And that's just comes with, that just comes with the territory and with being, I was born and raised here. I know what people would like here. And it, it's most importantly also being able to communicate with the artist and the agent, the assets that you want, uh, not just saying, oh, just give me some, a picture of blah, blah, blah. Like, no, I would like, for example, when I asked for I would like a video of a live performance from the artist. So I'm not saying, Hey, I want a video of them hanging out. I don't want a video of them. I want a video of them doing a live performance because in Houston, people want to see ads of a live performance. They don't want to see just people hanging out in the back of a truck or whatever. And in other markets, that actually may be what they want. So it just depends. So it sounds like there's a, a dance, a delicate dance being done between you and the agents representing the bands as the venue itself. How much autonomy do you have to say they gave us crap? We're not putting that out here. Or is it written into the contract? Hey, this is the fonts we're using. These are the colors we're using. This is the script we're using. You have to use this. So we do what we, we do the best we can with what we're given. And if there's just something that in marketing, we don't like, we're able to talk to our bookers and talk to the agents and just try to explain our situation, why we think it would work, why something else would work a bit better and ultimately just follow lead of what they want. They're the ones that are playing the venue. We know what will push tickets. We know what will get people there. And usually I haven't really had any pushback once I give out my ideas on that. I kind of think about it. Hmm. I don't think I have, um, but that's because, I mean, it's, it's a earned trust with the relationships with me and agents. It's not something that you just get a lot of the agents that we work with, I've worked with multiple times and they see the results. And so they're able to trust kind of like the guidance and suggestions that myself and Ashley, the other marketer have. Gotcha. You made, you made a comment uh, a minute ago that I want to go back to. You said artists are artists. It's their job to make music. They're not marketers. That's our job. And I actually had someone, I can't remember if it's on my YouTube channel or on my Facebook group. But they sent me a message and they said that they as an artist feel more and more like venues are putting more pressure on bands, on musicians to really shoulder the burden of the marketing for shows. And they, he said that that's really interfering in his music creation because he's spending so much time marketing. So what do you view as the responsibility of the venue for marketing as compared to the responsibility of the artists? and their team for, for marketing the show? Yeah, that's a perfect question is, and if it's a smaller artist, then you're going to have to just do more. That's just the way it is. You don't have a team behind you. It's just probably you and your bandmates or maybe a few friends here and there. But what I, what I think when it comes to smaller artists, it's a little bit more difficult to get any assets or anything just because not because it's, it's mostly because they just don't have time. Honestly, that's just how it is. If when you're going through an agent, it's a little bit different. You do have more resources to be fair. If you're going through an agent, because agents can hook up artists with someone that can do their ad mats with someone that can help them do their press photos. So mm -hmm. when going through an agency, things can be easier for artists to be fair. But if not, if you're just doing it solo, that's when it gets a little bit difficult. The thing I would recommend the most, if you are uh, independent artist and just trying to do it on your own is to just front load all of the marketing. Like there is a checklist you can have that we can go over and it's just do everything immediately. So by the time your tour comes or your next tour comes, you already have everything ready. You just deliver it and that's it. Like the simplest things that we need to create a show on at White Oak is we need a press photo. We need an ad mat. Even if we don't have an ad mat, we can use a press photo. Don't, don't let can, anyone tell can you, you that tell that's me right. when, Can you define what an ad mat is for somebody who isn't familiar yeah. with that term? So an ad mat, if you've ever gone to like a record store or seen like a bunch of posters against an old building <laughs> in your city, mm -hmm. that's an ad mat. 
It's basically okay. just awesome decorative art. A press photo, it's just like an artist picture, like a headshot or the band performing or something like that. Uh. There you go. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so an ad mat, it does cost money to make. Uh, it does look cool. It does make it look more legit. But at the same time, if you're starting off, do you? It's, it's up to you. It's not up to me to decide if you need it or not. Uh, but an ad mat does get localized. And, that, and by that, I mean an ad mat gets sent out to every venue that you're playing. And it gets localized by a graphic designer where they change. So let's say, let's pretend this is an ad mat right here. It'll say the city, the date, and buy tickets at. And so when you send an ad mat, every venue that you're sending the ad mat to, they will change the city and they will change the date. That's it. If you send a press photo, they don't have to do anything. They have to make their own little ad mat for you. So the things that we require marketing-wise when it comes to Idaho Renew is we need a press photo. We need the announced, the announced stuff, which is all through booking. Um, dark ad copy, which is whenever we run ads as the venue or we run ads through your artist profile, we want to make sure that we're saying the right thing. You can tell me that you don't, that you don't care and you want us to make our own. Cool. We'll do that. We'll make a, the venue will make their own, but do you really trust the venue? Uh, what I do, because I don't want people to feel that way is I tell people, okay, I'll make a dark ad. I made like some copy, which I wrote like, Hey, we're blah, 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 coming to blah, blah, blah. Make sure to check us out. And then I send it back to the artist for approval. Uh, not everyone does that. And so it, it's up, it's up to the artist really. Uh, from there, what else do we need? A bio. Please make sure to have a bio if you're an independent artist. You don't want someone else to dictate what your music sounds like. You don't want, if you don't want to be compared to another artist, say that in your bio. Uh, if you want, if you want to say that in your bio, uh, the bio is what can help marketing make ad copy for social media posts. It could help with any email. It also helps when you do press releases as an artist. So if you are an independent artist and you're coming to, to Houston, let's say you want to send your information and your bio and as much information as you can to music, to news outlets. So they're like, oh, this artist is coming to town. So a bio is super important and having both a long version and a shorter condensed version is also key. Very, very uh, important. What, if you're making, I'm assuming the longer version, it's all of your accolades, it's history of the band, oh, yeah. all of that short version. How many characters are we looking at and what are things that you think are essential to include? It is a, basically a pitch. It's the elevator pitch of why someone should come to your show and who you are. It's like, you get on an elevator, you click the button. It's like, all right, cool. What's the name? You just sit back. All right. Someone tell me the name of their band, why I should listen to their music. And when are you playing? And those are the bit, those are the bigger things when it comes to the smaller one, because once again, it's going to be used for, it can be used for ad copies on social media. It can be used for emails and it can be used for just pitching yourself to somebody really quickly. And the smaller bio, you can just think about it that way. Just pretend you're pitching it to yourself and then write it out. And there you go. So at that point, it doesn't really matter to get into your background or necessarily where you're from. Just here's who we are. Here's what we do. And here's why you should care. Exactly. Yeah. The long bio is going to take care of all of that information. If someone wants to dive deep, they'll take the time to read it. The shorter one is basically, like I said, something that you would give to, uh, a do, I don't know what they're called, the do media or something like that, where it's just a snippets of, of something like no one's reading like the full article. Everyone's just reading the first two sentences on Facebook anyway. So you just want to make sure that, those, that, that it looks cool and that you express who you are in the way that you want to be perceived, not so much letting marketing or the venue or agents do that for you. Okay. Anything else that's on your kind of checklist of essentials, front end oh, yeah. essentials? Let's see. When it comes to marketing, it uh, we love for the artists to do it themselves. Another thing that I ask for is a localized shout out video, like I mentioned before, mm -hmm. where someone just says, hey, we're going to play at this venue in this city. You can knock all of those out as soon as you confirm your tour. Just do them immediately. Mm -hmm. Just do it. It's not that cool. And it may be boring and you may not like it, but the faster you knock it out and just send it in, the better it is. You could, because because in marketing, we could use that same 
audio for the announce, for the on sale, for the reminder, for a week of post, it's, it can be recycled and it's not just mm-hmm. for one-time use. Um, if, if that is, if marketing wants to go there, it can also be used for ads uh, for the venue. So that video has a shelf life of your entire tour and each mm-hmm. venue should be able to use it more than once, honestly. So just by doing that localized shadow video, you're already saving yourself a bunch of time in the future for having to do it while you're on tour. Another thing that you may or may not have, like I mentioned before, I asked for live performance footage. That is a little bit trickier. I understand because you're performing live, but if you have a friend that's, that's recording you, it doesn't have to be professional. I a hundred percent guarantee you. It does not have to be professional at all. Uh, Just any footage. Any footage of you performing live just because people want to see what they're buying a ticket for, especially if you're a smaller artist and small selling these smaller rooms, you know, even though the ticket price is 15 to 25, it's still someone taking time out of their day, right? Mm. It's still someone, you know, finding you their babysitter if they have to missing something else that they could be doing, trying to go see you. So why should they let's give them a snippet of what you are, what you stand for your performance. Not the whole thing. You don't have to go stage diving in it. And it also doesn't have to always be like super cool. Just anything that can just hone in that audience that you, that you think you have. Let's see what else. And then be active on your social pages. I've seen people that start going on tour and just post once or twice. And I get that they're on tour and that they're doing other stuff, but you can schedule things out ahead of time. If you have a buffer or anything or have someone ran and you don't have to post to things that matter. It could be like, here's what we had for lunch today and there'd be a cold pizza or, or whatever. It doesn't have to be crazy, crazy. It just has to be constant engagement. So people can still talk about you because what if I see you after a show and I want to say something nice, but the last post you have was about Detroit. Hmm. What am I going to, am I going to want to post in the Detroit picture about how awesome you played in Houston? Uh, Eh. That's almost as bad as coming out and saying that you're in the wrong city. Yeah. Hello, technique. It's like, dude, dude it, you're in Chicago. If I get, yeah, Houston is notorious. We always get, because uh, the, the, main, the, the main music scene is Austin and then Dallas. So Houston sometimes gets, when a, when a good artist comes sometimes, which sucks, we get Monday to Wednesday shows. It's mm-hmm. not cool. It's just the way the markets are. But. Every once in a while, we do get a, what's up, Dallas? And the whole crowd just goes silent for a second. Whoa, like the booze just come out. And it's hard to forgive that, to be honest. It's very hard to forgive that. So I, uh, I, went, to grad, I went to grad school in San Antonio, which is Bear County, uh, Texas. And I remember going to see the Old Crow Medicine Show and catch their front guy, catch the core, came out on stage. He was like, what's up, Bexar County? The other guys in the band were like, bear. And so like everybody in the crowd just started going, bear county. But yeah, he recovered well. He recovered well. Uh, Yeah, that, I mean, yeah, that's it. So yeah, also do that. Make sure, oh, that's another thing that does happen. And those live recording videos, sometimes I get artists that say the wrong dates and the wrong, and the wrong information. Just make sure you have like a little script. This idea, if you do that and go that route, it's not that hard. Honestly, front loading all of the marketing just saves you time while you're on tour. If you're a smaller artist and trying to do your own tours and book your own stuff. So are you receiving this in the form of like an EPK or they send Google Drive? How are they getting you this content? Yeah, so most of it's through Google Drive or through a box, which is the same thing. Uh, where it's just the press photo, a Photoshop version of a, if you guys go to the admin or a Photoshop version of an admin so we can edit it in the venue. Um, and yeah, everything is just through a Google drive or through something like that, that obviously public, but yeah, it's very plain and simple. You could do all of this could be done through your phone, honestly. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, Canva, I, I use Canva all the time for all my side businesses, for my bands, for I'm a school teacher, things I do at school. And it's really made it where you don't have to spend the hours and hours and hours learning how to use Photoshop or GIMP or something like that. <laughs> that we used to have to do back in the day. So you just told me things that artists should be doing. Uh-huh. What are things 
that make you scratch your head and you're like, why in the world would you waste time and resources doing this? What are some of the biggest mistakes you're seeing bands making on the marketing side? Oh, the targeting. Almost every market is so different that it's, it's a little bit difficult to, uh, to really, to really just say that a fan audience is the same. So Houston is a, is a great example of that. Like, um, we have people that go to our glass nights and then they also mm-hmm. listen to hip hop and that's not the same in other cities. Mm. So, and it's like, a, it's like a really it's not even like a small cross section. It's like a real cross section. And so whenever we, we start marketing and sometimes when we kind of look at the audiences, it's like, Hey, Chris, why are you trying to promote this kind of genre when we sound like this? I'm like, well, there's actually lots of crossover in this community, for example, that Mm. just so happens to be like that in the city. The thing in Houston also is like people who like Latin like like Spanish rock also end up liking synthwave a lot and UK mm-hmm. indie music a lot. So every once in a while, like when I'm sending out emails, we had the band Jungle uh, from the UK come to our venue. It mm-hmm. was like, I, I actually went to the show because I wanted to see it. It was, there were like a lot of Hispanic people at the show. And mm-hmm. I'm like, how'd you guys hear about it? Well, you heard about it through a social media post. And it wasn't even a venue and it was from somebody else too. But it's like, you would you think when you think of Jungle, a band from the UK that plays kind of indie pop, would you think of the Hispanic audience? Mm. I don't, I don't think we do. And that's just something because of the market that we're in. And it's not even just because we're in Houston, it's Hispanic. It's just because that's the kind of audience that they have around the world. When it's trying to think of them and think of ours in that light, it's trying to see what kind of people listen to your music more than just demographically kind of like i mentioned to you before lifestyle is also a bigger deal it's a bigger Mm -hmm. issue and more of a it hits more than than not people that go to record stores listen to more of that niche music to be honest Mm -hmm. you know and uh, records (laughs) yeah exactly i do too that's why i know that's why i know songs and all these other bands it's like that's why we know them but it's people that go to record stores that, that have like that deeper understanding of music. That's not always the case. Obviously, that is like a marketing assumption. But yeah. it's just thinking of it that way. What's a good example? Uh, we had Wheeler Walker Jr. come. That one's a pain for marketing. You said what not mm. to do. That one's a pain for marketing. Wheeler Walker Jr., if you didn't know, is a parody of country, essentially. Yeah, he's the guy that his album cover is like the girl's legs split or whatever, right? Oh, yeah. It was a very, okay. it was, yeah. He's kind of in that like Paul Cothran kind of circle and stuff right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's great, but it's very controversial. We couldn't even get country stations to pick him up, but he's a country <laughs> artist. So what do you do then? How did, our pivot was to aim towards comedy because <laughs> he's a parody. Of, of that kind of genre of music, but while also still hitting like country and, and, and bluegrass and those roots. And it worked. We got there. But you, it's not something that you think about just because if you're just in two and two genre or affinity artists, you don't go beyond that. Another great example is K-pop. We had K-pop artists come and it's like, what else, what else, what other crossovers are there? Well, in Houston, we have uh, a little not little now it's huge anime convention so i'm like why don't we just try to hit that kind of thing up and it worked and it's starting to work better so it's just thinking of lifestyle versus thinking of affinity artist and genre that just helps a lot more honestly it sounds like you're making it each show is like a problem to be solved it's like a a puzzle you're trying to unlock that's exactly you're you're right each each one deserves its own love and attention and care there's no even if it's the same artist coming it's still a different plan great example that i had that i had a i had a great conversation with my old boss about was if a band returns to the venue what if they change their entire sound completely what if they did a Mm. kings of leon on us you know what i mean where they were like country choir boys and all of a sudden they're talking about something's on fire like, how do you, you, you're not selling the same ticket right there. You're yeah. selling two different, that's, those are two different things. Those are not the same artists, but it is the same artist. So it's a different problem. You can't approach, even if it's the returning show, 
you can never approach it the same way. So how much leeway, how much time do you normally have to be working on a show? Hopefully three months, hopefully. Okay. Sometimes it's a little, it's, it's less, and it's a lot less. Sometimes it's more. It just depends on the tour, the artist, the agency. Um, but that is enough time to get things rolling. If you're a smaller artist, you don't need that much time just because, I mean, there's, there's not much to build on when it comes to, to your brand or anything like that. When it's a bigger show, there's like a lot more to do. Like, for example, if we, like we're having two-door cinema club come, I can build up their show because of the amount of albums they have, because of the amount of content they have. If you're a smaller artist, if you give me three months, I can't do too much because there's not much content. There's not many assets. There's not much music for people to listen to. So it just, it's, it depends on that also. Just a factor. Gotcha. So earlier you got really excited when you mentioned partnerships. So yeah. tell <laughs> us what you mean. Tell us what you mean by partnerships and why it makes you so giddy. Like you visibly were excited to talk about. So why, why do partnerships make you so happy? So partnerships are cool because venue, I'll talk about it through the venue and then talk about it as an artist. So venue wise, we work with record stores, places that sell food, skate shop. Um, sometimes it's like not full dispensaries, but kind of like Texas legal dispensaries, things like that, because mm -hmm. they are the boots on the ground and direct contact with the person. A venue mm -hmm. only brings in people when there is a show. Other than that, you're not coming to a venue. You're not going to come here to hang out. Why are you over here? We would probably tell you to get out. I'm just kidding. We wouldn't say anything like that. But a dispensary, a bar, a restaurant, people go in all the time. They have all the foot traffic. People return for the food's great. All that's great. And they continue to have that front-facing relationship that we're trying to have with our audiences. So because of that, I like we like to work with and partner with restaurants, with record stores, with a skate shop in this two skate shops and either, you know, cross promote each other. Uh, sometimes most recently, I forgot which show it was, uh, the local skate shop hooked us up with a board to run a contest and give away a few tickets. Our record store is always awesome and helps us promote shows or also once every once in a while, they're like, Hey, here's a gift card, um, for a contest you guys could run. Are they like, cool? Or a restaurant's like, here's a $50 gift card to our restaurant. If you guys for, you know for a shout out or whatever. So it's also super cool because they in return get tickets from us for those shows or for other shows. And so it's like a very mutually beneficial thing where everyone gets what they want. When it comes to the artist side, those relationships and partnerships are important because they're the ones that can vouch for you whenever it's time for you to start performing. So if you have a relationship with a business, you don't just have the venue pushing you, you have a business pushing you. You could put up flyers, you could put up posters, you can have them play your music over the speaker system. There's much more that businesses can do at times compared to a venue. For us, it's also a little bit difficult because um, once again, people don't come to our venue other than to come to shows. So the foot traffic, the, the returning customer, and just those partnerships. And then people trust their, where they go. You know, people mm. trust their record store. People trust their, their go-to bar. They trust all those things. And so if, if those places are vouching for a show or for a venue or for anything in particular, more people are likely to listen than if they know that everybody's just trying to sell tickets. So as an independent artist, how do you pitch a partnership? What, what do you suggest going in? What do you have to offer as, you know, Ray Bob just put his first single out on <laughs> Spotify is playing a hometown, his first hometown show in a 80 cap room. What do you have to offer? How would you suggest proposing a partnership to a local business uh, that would be mutually beneficial? I feel like some, the music has to speak for itself and just who you are as a person also works a lot. For example, our, our record stores have uh, artists play inside them. And, and just, it's like, they call it wristband events where you just show up free show, get a wristband, that's it. And it just comes with, you know, being avid, being a participant in the record store, being active 
in the community, creating those relationships with other musicians that can also, once again, vouch for you. Um, once you just have that certainty, businesses are going to be easier to get access to. But once again, you have to just have that quality. You can't just show up and be like, hey, I'm, what's his name? Billy Bob, Timmy Bob. <laughs> and, and be like, hey, I have a CD, check it out. Like, no, you have to go and cultivate those relationships. Like we, we just didn't magically talk to a record store and become their friends. It took years to get to where we are right now. It took, it's like, hey, I love your record store. I've been coming here forever. You guys want to work together one day? Sure. Cool. And then we just talked about music forever. And then it just evolved into what it is right now. I have a partnership with a, hopefully, uh, with a goth night that happens in Houston. It's so cool. I love this. I love the goth night. And I never thought about them as like a partnership before, but then I'm like, hey, I work at White Oak Music Hall. I've been coming to your goth nights for like two or three years. They're amazing. They're so cool. How do you guys want to, you guys want to work together one day? Like, yeah, definitely. We've seen you around. You don't know how to dance that well, but it looks cool. And it just happened. It just hits that way. Mm. So just, just being active in a part of the community is what gets you there. It, it's hard. It, the, the hardest part is doing that for artists. Like before, I think during COVID, you could have been a bedroom and the simply of artists and made it big because we were all locked up and mm. couldn't go anywhere and had to consume. But now you actually do have to go out and talk and those kinds of things. But if you're a local artist, hopefully you're already part of a local community. Hmm. You know, every, every single guest that I've had on the show so far from episodes that have aired and episodes that I've recorded that haven't aired yet, the idea of being engaged in the local community, not for the purpose of manipulation, but actually being a contributing member, that seems to be the foundation whether it be talent buyers, artists, marketing, indie labels, everybody I've talked to, that seems to be your your first level order is be actively engaged in your local community. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's that's well, okay. Now going back to the very beginning of this conversation. That's how I got this job. It was I used to work, I was a DJ at my university radio station. Uh, that didn't work out well. So then I'm like, I'm not going to stop going to shows and music. So I started writing reviews for our local university paper. And with that, I have to go to venues and be like, hey, I am part of the University of Houston's uh, arts column. I'd love to review your show. Uh, could you help me up with tickets? Sure. Cool. And I got tickets to a bunch of shows that way. Kind of how I started my concert pinch nice. at that early of an age. Yeah. I mean, it caught, I still had to be the photographer. I still had to be the reviewer and I had deadlines and all that stuff, but that's how I got in. And then from that, I met people in these venues. That, I mean, you have, cause you have to apply as media and talk to people. And I just kept in touch with them for years and years and years. And then come, it's going to be almost two years now that I've been doing this. I feel two or three, I don't remember right now. But I got the job because someone that I met when I was in college was posting about this job at White Oak as a marketer. So had I not been in touch with these people, had I not continued to pursue music, had I not done all of this, I wouldn't be where I am now. And it starts once again, like you said, with just that local engagement. Like I went to record stores without any, any like initiative. It was just to listen to music because I liked it. I didn't write articles to go to free shows. I wrote it because I love music and I wanted to go and see things and share my experience with other people. And that's how I got to where I'm at. And I'm fortunate enough that people saw the passion that I have for music while I was being interviewed for this job and the knowledge that comes with being in the world of music, even though I wasn't in the industry, it's still, you can't avoid that passion that someone has for something. Like when I tell people now that I work for a music venue, like, oh yeah, yeah, of course. And I'm like, of course, oh, you do. Yeah, of course you do. Yeah, of course you do. My like my degree is in computer science. So I'm not supposed to be doing this. That's not why we do it. And but I'm here and this is the happiest I've ever been. But once again, it's like if I tell people I'm a programmer, it's like, OK, cool. When I tell people, oh, yeah, I work in a music community. Like, yeah, of course you do. Yeah. Oh. And it makes me feel proud and happy that it got to that point now. Uh, but it started off with just the love of music and not, not really knowing how to get my foot in the door 
to the industry. Like there's so many ways to get into it. There's not really one guaranteed way, honestly. Mm. I got in because of my experience in marketing, um, because I've been doing marketing already for about six years now, just overall as an industry, but in the music industry now for about two. And so, I mean, you could do marketing and be in the music industry. It just makes it easier to love music, honestly, mm. because there are people that are in this industry that are just doing it as a job. And I'm pretty sure that it's very noticeable to us that really love music, that that's what it is. Yeah. So I always, being a school teacher, I'm always surrounded by kids that, you know, I'm going to grow up and be in the NFL. I'm going to grow up and be in the NBA. No, you're probably not, right? <laughs> and so I, I think the music industry is really similar in that if you have a passion for music, there are so many ways that you can create a professional identity where you're engaged in music without being the performer. So good example of this on the sports side, my brother-in-law, big guy, he was a good athlete, one game in high school, he gets hit up top and up bottom towards MCL and ACL, broke his kneecap, football career's over, yeah. one play. Uh, but he still loves sports. So his pivot was he started becoming an equipment manager and he would hang out with the team and help them get their equipment arranged gets to college, he gets a scholarship to be an equipment manager with a college football team. Skip forward, the gentleman who was the head equipment manager for the football team passes away, and the university was like, hey, we want to hire you to be our head equipment manager, plus we're going to pay for your master's. And so he got to go to all the games, he got to be in the locker rooms at all these great you know, stadiums, he built relationships with coaches and all this stuff. He still got to be part of the yeah. game. He just wasn't the one on the field. And I think it's so cool to hear your story of, hey, I'm 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 not really a musician. You told me before we started recording, I'm too busy enjoying and consuming music to really worry about learning yeah. how to play it. But you're you still like you glow talking about what you get to do. And I, I think it's really neat. And I definitely think that when people say, Yeah, of course Chris works in the music industry, that yeah, that's something that's really cool. And I'm so happy for you that you get to do that. Yeah, it's it's a, it's definitely a journey and the, it's always a growing experience, but I would I wouldn't I can't be anywhere else anymore. This is it. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to give you a scenario, okay? And let's see okay. how you can work through it. Let's assume you are a young artist, young band. We will say indie folk Americana. Uh, general acoustic music you you have no budget and you are looking at playing a, a you know regional venue your first kind of shows out of town 150 200 cap room maybe like y'all's upstairs they don't really have any marketing team it's going to be on you what do you how are you getting how are you getting tickets sold Tell me cool. what your your strategy, your plan would be. As as that band, okay. If I was that band, I would get to, like I said, press photos of of me and my bandmates doing our thing, straight up immediately. Share them with everyone in my phone, along with the ticket link and the date. Everyone, everyone, everyone. And then after that, I go into Facebook and log in and spam everybody. The oh, one of the secrets I just forgot that I. I just remembered right now, sorry, I just remembered right now is make sure to post your event on the appropriate Facebook groups. So if there's like, if you're in the small regional venue, there are people that listen to that music in that small regional town probably. And so if you find that group in Facebook or Instagram or Discord or Reddit, mm. you post your show on there. You post a link to your music, you post your Spotify, your YouTube, whatever it is you have, and then the link to your show. Organic is the way to go. And there are so many free platforms out there that no one takes advantage of just because we consume them, but we don't see them as tools, to be honest. And so, like I said, Reddit would be a good one. You just posted, like, posted a folk, r forward slash folk, r forward slash Americana. Even if it just gets two upvotes, at least it's got something. Once again, post it in local Facebook groups for the wherever the venue is. If it gets 30 views, that's 30 more than zero. Mm -hmm. If you share it with people, 
they may share with more people. They may share it with more people. It may not go too far, but if you go far enough, let's see, what else can you do? Try to get on a local playlist if you can. Send out your bio, as we discussed earlier. Send out your bio to news media outlets, even the small ones. Send them out to college radio. Honestly, those are like the biggest hits that they want to get that small no-name artist. Send your bio a link to your information and have uh, the college do an interview even. Give them two free tickets and get an interview or have them post on social media for you if you give them two free tickets or something. And once again, localized video shout outs for the venue. Doesn't take much time, no time at all. And if you are on the, if you have other people on the bill with you, have them do everything that you're doing or do it for them if they don't want to. So then you're doing twice as much. You're hitting their audience as well as yours. And if you're different genres, as much as, as crazy as it's out, that's even better because now you're hitting two different audiences. So those are like the biggest things you can do. Other than that, you can start flyering, posting it on, but that's, once again, those aren't things you can't do from your phone. Those require, you know, actually going out that requires gas. We said no budget, so I'm not trying to make people drive. But if you, if you have any money or if you have past stuff or even hand printed, whatever, you can send flyers to the venue to put up for you mm. as well. That costs money though. Not, not to have them put up, but to send them. So if you don't have that, then no well, but those are like the quickest, fastest and most effective things you can do. And if you're a small artist, do as much as you can during the on sale, when tickets go on sale and the week of the show. Between that, it's going to be, you know, ticket sales, the way they go is like this. They start off up here and the, the, the announce people, you aren't selling anything. They go on sale, huge spike. And then people lose interest because it's not for two, three, two, three months. And that's like, oh, the show's coming up and then ticket, tickets go back up. So don't invest in this plateau period. Don't worry about that period. If you're not selling many tickets or any at all, it's not going to hurt as long as you hit here and here effectively as a small band only then you're going to be fine. Sometimes it does happen where it just goes like this or it just keeps going up. But because going constantly up is also bad because it just means you have a lot of walk-ups, which isn't good. If you go the other way, it means you sold only on on sale and no one cares about your artist enough to go the day of, which is also bad. So you kind of do want to have this kind of curve when it comes to so a, a, re a reverse bell curve. You exactly. curve is what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. So... Avoid ads when you're small cap indie artist. Would you suggest avoiding ads? Avoiding ads altogether post organically. And, and the smaller you are, the more you can use TikTok because that's one of the most exploitable social media is right now with hash, with I'll the way that the hashtags, the way with the hashtag system works, you can hit many different groups because Facebook has a lot of things in control where if you get too spammy or Instagram too, if you get too spammy, they'll just lock it down to an extent. Mm-hmm. But TikTok, they don't really care. So you can do a bunch of different hashtags to hit the right audiences. Once again, try to make sure to hit not just genre and affinity, but also lifestyle. Hmm. Uh, you had mentioned Reddit. I think that's how we connected was on Reddit. Mm -hmm. uh, Reddit, Facebook, all of these, you were talking about going in advertising for your show, but so many of them have, so many of the groups say no self-promotion. So do you have some helpful tips and tricks for uh, being less spammy so that you don't get your your posts flagged as self-promotion? Yeah, I talked to the admin. You can talk to the admin and give them two tickets to your show. Hmm. But just buy them. <laughs> buy them <laughs> I mean, off. buy them off. I mean, honestly, you got, if you have to do what you have to do if you're a smaller artist, I mean, that's not really that big. It shouldn't be that big of a deal. And if you're not promoting anything, like if, you're, if it's not self-promoting, I think there's a way from what I saw where you can post a link to like a stream. Mm. The way I, the way I like to do it is it just depends on the ticketing platform. So this is very, very niche thing to do. Most YouTube channel, most ticketing platforms have a way where if you're an artist and you're coming to a venue, it shows up on under the YouTube video. Mm -hmm. Not all ticketing platforms have that. Some do, some don't. But 
if you have that on and you just share a video, you're basically promoting that you're going to play at that venue. Hmm. Just saying. Gotcha. That's it. That works. Just say it. Just say so, it. Or making sure if you share a YouTube video also, I mean, if you're the top comment and you pin your tour dates or have them in the description, then it's you're not self-promoting it's there already if people want yeah, to discover it yeah before we start wrapping up any other tips or tricks that you would like to offer some wisdom that you have gained that you think would be really <laughs> beneficial for young and emerging artists i would say don't when it comes once again to the bio not just the bio but overall make sure that you're in control of your messaging and your marketing even though the venue is doing it for you Ultimately, you have the control of what is being said about you and how you want to be perceived. And even though it, it seems like you just want to sell tickets and you'll do anything for it, there is still the way that you help. How do I say this the right way? Kind of like the way that you present yourself is what you're going to get to an extent, um, which isn't a bad thing. I mean, that's that is just how it is. And so you want to make sure that the way you're talking and presenting yourself is in fact what you want your audience to be. Because there's, there's just lots of different ways. There's lots of noise on the internet. You know, there's lots of people saying lots of different things. So you do want to stand out, but you also want to make sure that you're yourself and that you're, what you're saying brings in the people that want to continuously see you again. Because if you're saying all these crazy things and blah, 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 and then they, you know, it's just, it's just noise at the end of the day. If it's just trying to sell tickets, you want to make sure that you are an artist because if whatever you say in ads, when it comes to social or email can be used later and recycled, uh, not just by us, but by media outlets. So for example, we had, we had Wheeler Walker Jr. And there was two different videos we got from him. One was censored and one was uncensored. That kind of tells you the kind of show that's going to be, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and so because of that, you know, we could do those kinds of things. We knew we have, obviously we have to do a censored version for ads and everything, but we were debating, should we do an uncensored video? Should we do it? It kind of tells. So that kind of dictated the audience for this show and what to expect just based off of those two things, knowing that there's a censored and uncensored video. Uh, we have artists that have that kind of thing where it's like, oh, or, or, you know, when a show is labeled 18 plus, that also affects the marketing, you know, because we can say different things. Also, if you have an F here and an S there and a C there, you affect what you can say on social media. Hmm. So like, for example, the band, I could say the name, hmm. that was so hard to get through meta ads <laughs> to market. Yeah. <laughs> it's so hard to market. Right now we have, uh, fortunately we have Star and they've been around long enough where they're no longer censored. But I remember a time when I would see them and it was S T R F star star back in the day. They're a few Rolling ago. Stones cover band, right? No, they are a nope. synth. <laughs> they're a synth pop indie band. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so I always that, assumed they a were a Rolling Stones cover band. <laughs> and so with that, it's like their name. It's like, it's hard to push that as a, it's an all ages show because their music mm. isn't like that but their name is like that right yeah. so it's like we have to make sure that the marketing says oh this is a band that it's all that's a show that's all ages blah 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 because of the way it's marketed for wheeler walker jr it's like oh this is an adult show we have to make sure that it's marketed that way so the way you present yourself and the kind of music and things you want to to express to an audience should be really thought out in your marketing plan as well so basically, if you're inspired by Gigi Allen, don't sell yourself as a Swiftie. <laughs> exactly. Gotcha. Exactly. Awesome. So I love wrapping up every conversation since this is about live music. Dude, what is the most influential or best concert you've ever been to? It was too many. Okay, it wasn't even the first one. It was 2008. Let's do that one. Let's just pretend that one. Today, it's that one. Tomorrow, it'll be different. It was 2008. It was, I was 18. That just tells you how old I am. And my mom got mad at me because I was staying up way past my curfew because it was really late. But I really wanted to see this band. So this artist, Jessica Leah Mayfield, opened for them. And um, 
I was really excited. And the band didn't go on until 10 p.m. that night. And my curfew was at 11. I'm not missing this. I'm not missing this at all. And it was uh, the Black Keys. Whenever whenever they had, what was the name of the album? Attack and Release came out. It was the first album that they did with uh, Brian Burton as the producer. Awesome. So, yeah, it was crazy. You you mentioned Jeffrey Mayfield. Have you heard the album that she did with Seth Avett from the Avett Brothers? Oh, yes. It's so good. It's so good. So my my oldest son's name is Avit, uh, named okay. after the Avit brothers, and then my baby's name is Towns after Towns Van Zant and Justin Towns Earl. So that's why you can have a little bit. But yeah, I've seen Black Keys. <laughs> they they do put on a great show. Yeah, at uh, the time in two thousand eight, ticket a ticket was like fifteen bucks. Nice. Yeah, I, I hated saying back in my day for a quick second there. I, let's see, in 2008, I was 22, graduating my undergrad and getting married. So that was a, 2008 was a big year for me. Yeah. Cool. Good year for both of us. Yeah. So Chris, where can we find out more about you? Where can we find out more about the venue and stuff online? So I, my personal Instagram is at It Sounds Better Live. If you want to follow me, I do. On my free time, I go to all these music festivals. I'm going to South By in March. I'm going to Primavera Sound in june i always hit up lots of music shows and then i also post shows obviously that happen at white oak white oak music hall.com is where all of our shows are at if you're in the houston texas area just come come on by it's cool it's an awesome venue come see any of our awesome shows and those those are the biggest places you could find me that's it i'm not going to tell you guys my reddit you have to really be my close friend for that one nice i've worked my way into the inner circle so yeah they had special the special circle Awesome. Chris, it has been an absolute pleasure. You are a wealth of knowledge, and I really appreciate you taking time to hang out for a little bit. Yeah, thank you so much. See you. All right, see you, buddy. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Booker Band Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, I would sincerely appreciate it if you hit that subscribe button and share the show with some of your friends. To stay informed on upcoming episodes, be sure to sign up for the Booker Band mailing list, and also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. All those links are available at www.bookyourbandpodcast.com.